morning. To welcome you to Redwood Christian Church. If it's your first time visiting with us, we're happy that you're here. If you've been here since day one or anywhere in between there, we're glad that you've carved out some of your Sunday morning to be with us on a beautiful Sunday morning. I think my favorite thing about Oregon so far is we've gone from winter to summer to fall in the span of a month, so it's good. I was dreading the hot weather, and now we're past it already, so uh, football season will be here before we know it. So. We do have some first-time visitors today. I don't normally point out first-time guests, but uh, my mom and stepdad are here from uh, Oklahoma, so they have... Uh, made the trip out, kind of the, the scenic route, as my mom would like to say, uh, uh, up to about, what, seven or eight states already on this trip, and they've got several more to go on the way back, so uh, glad to have them here with us. Uh, hey, we are in the middle of a series called Shoes, where we have been uh, looking at some of the people who walked with Jesus and looking at what they had to overcome in life and what they allowed their faith Uh, to grow enough that they could overcome uh, that situation. And we've asked the question, if they were in our world today, what kind of shoes might they wear? And so over these last few weeks, we uh, put on a pair of running shoes, and we walked with uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and talked about the endurance it takes to live a life of faith. And then we put on a pair of wingtips, and we looked at Nicodemus and and asked, what do we need to do to overcome this sense of spiritual elitism and, and humble ourselves to see Jesus face to face? Then we put on a pair of stilettos, and we looked at the woman at the well in Samaria and said, what do we need to do uh, to allow our faith to grow to overcome our past or our present kind of messy situation? Last week, we we went a little bit unorthodox and put on a pair of flip-flops and looked at at John the Baptist. said, how can we break the mold of of kind of the self-servant lifestyle that society has today and and embrace humility, and, and the humility specifically that we need to get out of the way so people can see Jesus? Well, today you might notice we don't have a a table with a pair of shoes on it because we're going to take our shoes off and go barefoot, and we're going to walk with Peter. Uh, Peter, uh, as you know, one of the disciples of Christ and and was a person who was really known for being a risk taker. Now, when I talk about taking risks, I think there's two types of people. There's people over here who love taking a risk. They love a challenge, and and they uh, are are pushed by it. They get a thrill, kind of an adrenaline rush by being uh, pushed to their limits, and and they just love that feeling of being challenged at everything that they do. They don't want to get into a routine or into uh, what they would call a rut. They want to have something new every day. But on the other side, we have people who cringe at the thought of taking a risk. They want no part of it. We might call them uh, guarded or cautious. They're the kind who like routine. They like knowing what's coming. Uh, In fact, they don't get this this sense of adrenaline or or thrill or a rush from taking a risk. They get anxiety and stress, and, and they don't want any part of it. And there's nothing wrong with either side of that. But Peter would definitely be over here on this side. Because Peter was a guy, as you read his story through the Gospels, never hesitated to step out of what he thought was normal and routine and take a risk. He never hesitated to say something he thought needed to be said or do something that he thought needed to be done. Uh, He was very enthusiastic, very strong-willed, very driven to try and succeed at doing ministry like Jesus was doing. And I think often his, his intentions were good. He wanted positive things to happen. But as you read through the Gospels, more often than not, he just kind of fell flat on his face with a lot of the decisions that he made. And and the problem with that 
is a lot of times Peter's strengths really were his limitations at the same time. And the problem, too, when you fail is sometimes you fail and it impacts more than just you. Yet, when you get through the Gospels and you get into Acts, many of Peter's risks were good. And they had very positive impacts uh, on, on the people around him and on the kingdom at large and even still down to us today. And when you look at Peter and you look at his, his risks that he took, you look at the chances that he took, the good and the bad, uh, the smart and the not so smart, those really come together and we see both sides of it in one moment in history. One of the most famous moments in history, a moment that people who don't even really come to church or know much about the Bible know about. We're in Matthew chapter 14. If you've got your Bibles, you want to turn there. We're going to look at this story uh, that, that takes place in the middle of, of, of the book of Matthew. In the middle of chapter 14, to kind of set this up for you, Jesus has just fed the multitudes at this little town called Tabga, which is in the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee, I mean, it's kind of a, a misnomer. It's actually a lake. It's fresh water. It's about seven miles wide. And, and at the end of this, this, this dinner that Jesus has just fed 5,000 men, plus all the women and children, he puts the disciples in a boat, and he says, go to the other side. I'll meet you there later on. And they take off. And in the middle of the night, they're about halfway across this, this lake. Lake's kind of sets down in a valley. It's windy. The, the water's very unpredictable. And as the disciples are rowing the boat across the lake, all of a sudden, here comes Jesus just casually strolling across the water. And I love this story because if I could pick one moment in the Bible to go back and watch, it might be this one. Because it just seems like the most bizarre. Jesus just casually walking across the water, seeing the reaction of the disciples. And I love this because we're going to pick up where, where they react to it. So in verse 25, he's walking across the water towards him. Matthew 14, verse 26 says, But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. And they said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Now, it's easy to kind of look at the disciples and think, Man, I can't believe they were scared. I mean, this is, this is Jesus after all. But if we were in that boat, would our reaction have been any different? I mean, mine wouldn't have been. These guys knew Jesus. They had seen him do miracle after miracle. They had seen him raise people from the dead. They had seen him just do all these amazing things. There was no doubt in my mind that they had no doubt Jesus could do anything. Nothing was impossible. But even with that in mind, do you really expect to see somebody just walking across the top of a lake? I mean, let, let's, let's put ourselves there. We're there, it's windy, it, the boat's rocking, and we're trying to get to the shore, we're fighting it, and you see somebody walking, you're like, oh, hey, Jesus, how you doing? No, they're terrified. But look at Peter's response in verse uh, 28. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out on the water with you. I'm like, really? That's your response to seeing Jesus walk on the waters? Oh, hey, bring me with you. And I love Jesus' response. Okay, come on. In verse 30, he tells Peter to come. And so Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But look at verse 30. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. See, in this moment here, Peter's risk, his, his gamble, if you will, it pays off. He's, he, he gets out of the boat, and he walks on water too. We, we, we talk about Jesus walking on water. We were talking about Peter walking on water. That's pretty amazing if you think about it. But yet he still sinks. 
he still starts to go under the water, just like any of the rest of us would if we tried to walk on water. Anytime I've tried to step on it, I just go straight in. How about you? I'm not very buoyant. And that's exactly what happens to Peter after he's done this. And you read page after page in the Gospels of Peter making a decision, doing something that's risky or something that's a bold challenge, and it failing much the same way. I mean, just, just think about it. You look in, in, in chapter 16 of Matthew, and it's Peter, of, of all people, he decides he needs to tell Jesus how it is. And I love that. Jesus has predicted his death, and Peter pulls him aside. He's like, hey, you, you know, this isn't going to happen to you. I'll, I'll take care of it. And I love Jesus' response, get behind me, Satan. I mean, he has no clue what he's saying here. Or Matthew 17, uh, the transfiguration, Jesus has been on the mountain and, and God's glory has shone down upon him and, and we see Moses and Elijah standing there with him and Peter's like, you know what we need to do? We need to build a tabernacle for each one of you three. Like, why? Jesus is like, I picture Jesus kind of shrugging his shoulders like, really? Or John chapter 18, Jesus is getting arrested in the garden and the servants of the high priest come after him and Peter attacks them. I mean, they're doing their job, and Peter cuts off one guy's ear. Or, or go back a little bit further that evening, a couple hours before there, Matthew 26, we read about the, the Last Supper, and, and Jesus is, is, is telling his disciples, one of you will betray me, and Peter's like, not me, I will never betray you, ever, never, never gonna happen, ever. And like two hours later, he does, three times. I don't know this man. I have no idea, I've never met him, no, no idea who he is. See, what happens is Peter starts thinking like the rest of us. He starts thinking in his humanity. And he's, he's thinking about him, himself, and he's thinking about those people closest to him. And every decision that he makes is with himself and those people around him in mind first. And you may say, well, that's not a bad thing. He's thinking of other people. But he's thinking about his own flesh and his own physicality. And so he's making decisions on what he thinks is in the best interest of himself and those around him. And, and I think it boils down to one uh, simple fact. He gets caught up in the moment. He gets caught up in what's going on around him. Just look back in Matthew 14, verse 30. The key part of this verse is when it says, when he saw the wind. That's when he got scared. And that's when he sank. See, what happened here is simple. Peter has walked all the way to Jesus. Now think about this for just a second. It's one thing to say Jesus walked on water. Jesus is God. Peter is not. He is just as human as you and I are. He's the only fully human person to ever walk on water. And he's walked all the way out to Jesus. I don't know how long, maybe, maybe he stood by Jesus for a couple minutes. I don't know. I don't know how far Jesus is, if he's five feet, if he's 50 feet. I don't know. But Peter's made it all the way there. And then he gets caught up in the moment. And when he gets caught up in the moment is when he starts to sink Basically, what happens is he's taking his eyes off of Jesus, and he's heard looking at a circumstance. Now, we can relate to this pretty easily. How often have you been driving down the road, and everything's just fine, and all of a sudden, your attention gets pulled over here, and you start drifting? Or maybe you're glancing down at your phone, and you start drifting this way? <laughs> Think about it. It happens. It happens way too easily. Maybe we drift too far, and over here's a ditch or a tree, or over, even worse, over here's oncoming traffic. See, what happens is you've taken your eyes off of Jesus just enough. And when you take your eyes off Jesus and you keep your foot on the gas pedal, you run the risk of incredible danger to yourself 
and to those around you. And I think what's happened with Peter here, I think the reason that he's able to pull his eyes off of Jesus is he doesn't fully understand who Jesus really is. Now, this is, this is Peter. Not only is he one of the disciples, he's one of the inner three. I mean, he's one of Jesus' closest of closest inner circles. He's seen things that most people in human history have never seen. And even still, he doesn't fully understand who Jesus is. And you get a glimpse of that look in John chapter 13. If you want to flip over there. John 13, the Last Supper, the night before Jesus is going to be crucified, the disciples get into an argument over which one of them is the greatest. And right in the middle of this, Jesus starts washing their feet. He takes the job of the lowest of low servants and starts washing the feet of the disciples. And Peter in verse 6 is like, Lord, what are you doing? And Jesus responds in verse 7, what I'm doing you don't understand now, but afterward you will understand. And so in verse 8, Peter says to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus says to him, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. And in verse 9, here's, here's classic Peter. Well, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. In other words, why stop my feet? Go ahead and give me a bath. Wash the whole body. I mean, it's totally obvious here. Peter has no clue what's going on. He, he's seeing through human eyes here. He's watching what Jesus is doing. That, that enthusiasm, that strong-willed nature is holding him back because now he's become impulsive and he's become brash and arrogant in what he says and does. And I think what it boils down to is Peter's risks and decisions have failed because he's thinking of himself first. In other words, his failures are because his humanity has become greater than his faith. And because of that, his strengths have become his limitations. And too often, we're the same way. Too often, what drives us to succeed ultimately can cause us to fail. Maybe this is you, maybe this is somebody you know, but somebody maybe has started a business and they're driven and, and, and they're passionate about what they do and as a result it causes them to, to grow this business and it, it becomes successful and, and it makes a big impact but that success leads to arrogance and that, that arrogance leads to pride and that pride ultimately drags them down and ultimately that business plateaus and then starts to kind of slowly roll back downhill because they won't listen to anybody because they know how to do it the right way. Or let's flip it, maybe, maybe for you, your strength is, is your passion or your compassion. And you're so compassionate that you're open to everybody and you're loving to everybody and people love you for it. And so as a result, maybe as a teacher or maybe as, a, as somebody who works with youth in the community, you have this amazing impact on other people. But as a result of that, that strength has now allowed you to become kind of a, a, a walking mat, if you will. People walk all over you, people take advantage of you because they know you're too compassionate to do anything about it. You're too nice to do anything about it. So your strength now has become your limitation again. And here's the problem. When our strengths become our limitations and it causes a risk to fail, what happens is now we're less likely to take another risk in the future. And maybe that risk that you took was a good one that just didn't turn out too well. Now the case with Peter, he keeps at it. Even though he's failed, he keeps at it. And eventually his risky moves, his boldness becomes good. And his risky moves are having a very good impact on the kingdom around him and even still down to us today. I just look in the book of Acts and we start seeing uh, just, just page after page of Peter making good moves. Acts chapter 1, uh, Jesus has ascended into heaven. The remaining disciples are sitting around like, what's next? You know, wh where do we go? What do we do? And it's Peter who stands up. He says, well, here's what we got to do, number one. 
Let's, let's focus on number one. Let's, let's replace Judas, get back to 12. That's number one. Everything else can wait. Then Acts chapter 2, uh, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit's shown up and, and the, the disciples are speaking in tongues and people are trying to figure out what's going on. And it's Peter who stands up in front of all the crowd who's gathered around to watch and, and says, hey, here's what's happening. And I love it, both Acts 1 and 2, Luke uses the phrase, Peter stood up among the people. It's him who, who has the boldness and the courage to stand up and deliver that first sermon for the church. Or Acts chapter 3, Peter and John heal the, 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 the lame beggar. And then they go into the temple courts and they preach in Jesus' name, the same place Jesus was, was uh, accosted and arrested just in, in, in days before that or months before that. Now they're doing that there. And in, in chapter 4, they're brought before the, the Sanhedrin, before the council. And they're basically warned with, with very heavy threats, stop doing this. Leave his name alone. And quit preaching in his name. That man was a, a crook, a criminal, a, a revolutionary. We don't talk about him anymore. And in chapter 4, they go back and they pray that God would give them boldness to keep doing what they're doing. They don't pray for safety. They don't pray for their enemies to be crushed. They pray that God would give them strength and courage to keep doing it anyway. And he answers that prayer because in chapter 5 of Acts, again, the apostles get arrested. Again, they're released. And what do they do? They go right back to the temple courts and keep teaching. And I love this in, in, in Acts 5, verse 25. It says, someone came and told the Pharisees, look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple teaching the people. And so they come and they question him. What are you doing? We told you to quit doing this. And in verse 29, Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. His boldness started making a major impact. And it's trickled down to us today. What changed? What happened? Somewhere along the line, Peter figured out who Jesus really was. And it didn't happen until after he had resurrected from the dead. In fact, even in, in chapter 20 of John, when Peter and John go to the empty tomb, John writes, they didn't understand what was happening. But a couple days later, when Jesus is shown back up to them, he lets them know. And they finally get it. And in, in John 21, Jesus repeats to Peter over and over three times, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And Peter gets it. And because he got it, he was able to stop thinking for himself first and start thinking through the cross and through the empty tomb and now his decisions are more calculated. They're more thought out. His risks are, 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 are better prepared. And because of that, the kingdom has flourished, and it continues to do so now 2,000 years later. In other words, Peter succeeded in his decision-making because now his faith has become greater than his humanity. And because of that, the Holy Spirit has turned his limitations back into strengths. And that's a key there. I personally believe the only way we succeed in taking chances and risks today is when we allow the Holy Spirit to turn our human limits and our human boundaries into strengths. I don't know if you have seen this video. If you, if you watch the show America's Got Talent or if you've seen this video bouncing around social media this week. But uh, this video I'm going to show you here in a second is, is this girl named Mandy Harvey. Uh, she's 29 and about 10 years ago she completely lost her hearing. Singer, musician, gave it all up, but allowed the Holy Spirit to work in her life. And I'll just let you watch, let you watch her story right here. Hello. 
And what's your name? Uh, Mandy Harvey. And who's this? My interpreter. What's your name? Sarah. Nice to meet you, Sarah. Nice to meet you, sir. Hi, Sarah. Doing well, thank you. Hello. Okay, Mandy, so I think I've worked this out. So you're deaf? Yes, I, I lost all my hearing when I was 18 years old. Wow, and how old are you now? Uh, 29, so it's 10 years. Wow. And Mandy, how did you lose your hearing, if you don't mind me asking? I have a connective tissue disorder, so basically I got sick and my nerves deteriorated. So, you were singing before you lost your hearing? Yeah, I've been singing since I was four. So I, I left music after I lost my hearing and then uh, figured out how to get back into singing with muscle memory, using visual tuners and trusting my pitch. So your shoes are off because you're feeling the vibration. Is that how you're following the music? Yeah, I'm feeling the tempo, the, the beat uh, through the floor. And Mandy, what are you gonna sing? I'm going to uh, sing a song that I wrote called Try. Okay, can you tell me what it's about? After I lost my hearing, I gave up. But I want to do more with my life than just give up. So. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Good for you. Okay, well, look, this is your moment, and good luck. Uh, okay. Mandy, I don't think 
you're going to need a translator for this. the whole video, number one, uh, just, just seeing her overcome the limitations that have, have kept her and held her and told her, you can't do this. You have no business even trying this, and, and she does it anyway, and that, that boldness and that courage that she had to take to step out there. But even more than that, seeing her dad on the side, stage left, I didn't realize this when I first heard the story until I watched the video. It's Dr. Joe Harvey. He was a professor I had when I was working on my grad work. I didn't realize that until, until it all, I saw the whole thing. But getting to know him and getting to know his heart a couple of years ago and then seeing this, I love watching his face the whole time. You know, while she's singing, just that look of pride on his face, like, this is my girl, this is my child. She's overcoming all these limitations up against insurmountable odds. And then when Simon Cow walks out and hits the button and gives her the, the pass into the final round, just that, his hand shaking and that look of just jubilation, like, she did it. She did it. And here's why I love that, because I picture God in much the same way. When we're using our limitations to become strengths, to, 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 to face something that we have no business facing in the world's eyes, I just picture him with this sense of, 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 of pride like a father has him. That's my boy. That's my girl. And look at what they're doing. And then when we do that, that overwhelming jubilation and joy that comes out, I have no doubt that God has the same reaction that, that we would as parents to seeing our kid do that. But the question, the, the question we have is, if we're going to make this move, if we're going to do what, what Mandy Harvey just did here, which the, the impact of what she has done, for anybody who has physical limitations or physical disabilities to say, you can do whatever you want to do. Whatever you're passionate about, you can do it, and these don't have to hold you back. They can become a strength for you. How do we do it? How do we make that step and actually do it? You've prayed through it. You've, you've thought through the cross. You've, you've decided how to make, make your move. Now what? I think it comes in four steps. Taking your risk, taking your chance comes in four steps. Number one, you have to have boldness. You have to have boldness. You have to be able to ask for it. If it's something you're wanting from God, you have to ask. If it's something that, that you're wanting to say, you have to say it. You have to think through it and come up with the idea, and that requires faith. And too often, we want assurance that it's going to go well and it's going to end well. When it comes to faith, I love how Dr. Martin Luther King paraphrases Hebrews 11. His faith is taking the first step, even though you can't see the whole staircase. You have to have boldness, number one. Number two, you have to have an end goal. You have to. If you're going to take a risk, you have to know where you want that risk to lead. Too often, I think we take this step and like, well, we'll just see where God leads me. And the problem with that is you, you, you don't really know where you're headed. When you have an end goal and it's the goal God has set out in front of you, you're moving towards that. And it's the same idea, like I said earlier, of keeping your eyes on the road. It's like Peter walking to Jesus. You're keeping your eyes on Jesus. You're keeping your focus on Jesus. And when you have an end goal and you know where you want to go with that risk, you're not going to get caught up in the waves and the wind. 
You're not gonna get caught up in the circumstances of life. Number three, throw out your backup plan. You wanna succeed, get rid of a plan B. It's too easy to have a contingency plan or a backup. Well, if this doesn't go right, I'll try this. The problem with having a backup plan is that when things get tough and don't go well early on, it's easy to bail out. And it's easy to go back to something else. Kind of a personal example of this. Uh, last year when, when we left Phoenix, Arizona, I had no prospects of a job. This job wasn't even open yet. And, and so we moved back to Oklahoma and uh, actually went and stayed with my mom and, and stepdad. But the day we moved back, we closed on our house that we had owned for several years. It was sold. It was gone. It wasn't an option to move there anymore. And after a couple of months of, of no leads and no job possibilities and, and the future just looking bleak and dark, it would have been very easy to say, let's just move back into our house instead of these two bedrooms we're living in here. Let's just move back into our house. We've got more room, more comfortable. But if we would have done that, we could have very easily fallen back into a backup of, well, we'll just stay here. We'll just be here. It's comfortable here. We know everybody here. It's easy. And had we done that, we might have blocked God from pushing us where we were supposed to be. Number four, you have to get out of the boat. You've planned it. You've thought through it. You've come up with where you're going. You know what your goal is, but you have to get out of the boat. You have to take that step. Maybe your risk will fail. Maybe it won't work out the way you want it to work out. Maybe you don't know what's coming next, but until you throw your leg over the edge of the boat and you step out on the water, you have no idea if it's going to work or not. I, I'm, I'm wondering with Peter, even as brash as he was, even as, as, as strong-willed as he was, when Jesus said, come to me, and Peter gets on the edge of the boat, if the thought crossed his mind, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever done. I'm literally about to see if I can stand on liquid. I wonder if that thought crossed in his mind. <laughs> it would have been mine. But regardless, Peter walked on water. And yes, he sank at some point. But he at least had the guts to get out of the boat and step on water and trust God and go for it. What risks have you been considering here lately? Maybe it's a smaller risk. Maybe it's striking up a conversation with a neighbor, getting to know them a little bit better. Maybe it's, it's starting a conversation with a coworker that's eventually going to lead to a path of talking about Jesus. Maybe it's inviting somebody to a small group. Maybe it's a bigger risk. Okay, maybe, maybe for you the risk is, I think I'm ready to trust God and follow Jesus and get baptized. Or, or maybe that risk is, I, I'm ready to start a ministry and, and, and get people pointed towards Jesus and get a part of the bigger kingdom as a whole. Maybe it's a really big risk. Maybe you feel God uh, calling you like he called Abraham to pick up everything you know and move somewhere you know nothing about because that's where he wants you to work. That's where he wants you to go. Uh, high school kids, maybe God's calling you to Bible college. Something the world would tell you to ignore completely. Maybe he's wanting you to go into ministry. Maybe he's wanting you to go uh, into a missions field somewhere into a place you've never even heard of. What's the risk that God is putting in your heart that you're wanting to point towards? Whatever it is, trust God in your decision making. Think through the cross. Think about the kingdom at large, not just what impacts you personally or those right around you, but can impact the kingdom as a whole. Consider how it's going, going to impact the church as a whole. And after you've thought through it, when you feel the timing is right, get out of the boat and go for it. Here's a takeaway for you this week. 
Let your faith give you the boldness to take a risk. No matter how big or how small, let your faith give you the boldness to take a risk. Let's pray. Father, we are, are so thankful that you give us courage and boldness on a regular basis. God, that you give us the strength and the courage to take chances every day. God, whether that's a, uh, the risk to pick up and move across the country or the risk to just walk across the street and talk to a neighbor. God, I'm so thankful that there are so many people in this room who trust you to give them the boldness to take a chance to do something out of the ordinary every day. And God, I'm thankful that this church has thrived because of it. So God, I pray that we would continue to find those, those steps. God, that we don't know what the bottom step looks like. And we may not know until we're on that step right above it and we're moving down towards it. But God, you give us the courage to trust you to walk in that direction anyways. So God, I pray if there's decisions to be made today, that people here would have the courage and the boldness to make them. In the face of any trial, in the face of any uh, persecution or, or temptation, we would still find the strength and the courage to make those decisions, to take those risks, to trust you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.